What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, Knicks fans. How are you? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Recording this on a Sunday uh, about 10 minutes after the Knicks have just dropped uh, the second of back-to-back games at home this weekend. This one to the Brooklyn Nets, 103-101. to Um... It was, well, I should probably introduce um, my co-host, Jeremy Cohen, my usual co-host for this Sunday um, spot. Jeremy, how you you doing? How you feeling? I'm not feeling too good, John. (laughs) Because we lost to the Nets for the second time this year? It's because we lost, period. Yeah, the Nets certainly make it a factor. But, uh, yeah, it's it's not been a fun week, Knicks-wise, except, I mean, sure, you had the Cavs game, which was... A lot of fun and but honestly like and i was at that game there were moments where it was really boring because the knicks were just slaughtering them yeah um, like i was happy for the win for the knicks sake um but also from an entertainment value like it, <laughs> it would have been nicer we were a little closer but whatever um <laughs> yeah and the rest of the week has given you um kind of a flavor of what this Knicks season has been. There have been equal parts close competitive games against um, really good teams, and then there have been games that you would think the Knicks should, at the very least, be close and competitive and probably, you know, maybe actually win, um, where it looks like they didn't show up. Um, in And I, I don't mean to say, like, didn't try – um, but well, more or less, didn't try um, as much as they as they need to. So we just both listened to David Fisdale give his post game press conference after this game, and I want to start with something he said. Um, he mentioned the Miami team that he. Uh, I actually wait. No, he was already gone by that time. Yes, he was. Yeah, he was, he, gone. was he was gone by that time. It was after he left. But it was the team that started at eleven and thirty and and finished. 30 and 11, 500 team. I think they missed the playoffs uh, by a, a, the closest possible margin. And he talked about how Wayne Ellington was on that team. And, um, you know, he praised the Knicks veterans, specifically Ellington, Taj, and Marcus Morris, of course, for holding the Knicks together as they are going through these early season struggles. And he, you know, I think it was Ian Bagley asked him. <laughs> it was it was funny how Ian phrased it. He's like, I, I know you're up here saying that, like, you know, that Miami team happened, but like, you, you don't actually think that could happen with this team. He didn't say that in as many words, but it was, you could hear it in his voice. And Fizz was like, no, I do. And you love to hear that. And if he's, you know, you hope he's saying that to the guys. 
I, I guess my question to you, after the Knicks play, what I think we could agree, and we could talk about the decision to start Knox, and we could talk about some maybe little nit- nitpicky things, but after what I think we could probably agree was a well-played game on both ends by the Knicks, and they lost to a team that was missing, you know, obviously Durant, um, Kyrie Irving, and, and Karis LeVert, arguably their three best players, although Dinwiddie's pretty damn good. Like, how does that, like, A, do you believe him, like, that this could turn around, and B, do we have any evidence on a weekend like this where, you know, one game, they come out, don't really play that all that well, and get blown off the court for three quarters, and then another game where they actually play really well, and then they just lose a, to a team that played better that isn't a great team. Um, so how, how are you feeling about all that? To me, it's just empty words. I mean, for for starters, what is Fizz going to say? You know, like, oh well, that's this fair. Seems, this seems different. We're not gonna. We, it's not really something we should compare ourselves to. I mean, he's using that as an example because that's that's really the only example that we know of that can give this team a chance. And I'm sorry, but we've talked about this schedule for what well, feels like eons and. They, someone said during the presser, uh, you know, you've got five upcoming games against teams, all of which are potential title threats. How do you feel? And he was, you know, I'm excited. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. I'm glad you're excited. But I'm sorry. You, you're playing in Toronto. You're playing against the Sixers. You're playing against the, the Celtics. You're playing in Milwaukee. You're playing against Denver. Reasonably speaking, what? Would you say it's a successful five-game trip or, you know, whatever, uh, if they win two games? Well, they're – over the next five games, I mean, um, Indiana's one of the next five, right? It was one of the teams you said? Uh, Indiana's the sixth. Indiana's Toronto, the Toronto, Philly, Boston, Boston, Milwaukee. Oh, Milwaukee, that's right. I mean, they're going to be I – would, I would wager a guess that they're going to be, if not double-digit underdogs in every one of these five games. They're going to be damn close. Um, right. I mean, it's it, so – like I don't even think this team can get to eleven and thirty. That's that's that, my problem. And I know they don't have to be the same same record or anything like that. And you could look at the standings and see that well, in reality put, where they are now. Put put the record. Put the put like look. No, the team's not going thirty and eleven in, in any any right. any galaxy, um, let alone this one. I guess it's more like the philosophical. Not to get too deep, but. Is there, after after 17 games with a team that, again, is new and young and all the things we've been saying all goddamn year, is there a light on the horizon this season? I'm not talking about next year. I'm not talking about after they get another pick and after maybe they, you know. I'm not even talking about necessarily after they, you know, after the trade deadline. I'm talking about with this roster, do you believe there is a light at the end of the tunnel? Do you believe they could get much better than they are right now. But see, what I don't understand is if you're saying forget about the roster, but then light at the end of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel comes from winning more games, and that is a fact. I mean, like staying close in these games, it's fun, but at a certain point, it also adds up. It's deflating to know that you don't have a closer, you can't successfully... I mean, yeah, this, is a, this Nets team was good enough, right? But this was a beatable Nets team, and yet at times it felt like the Nets should be up by way more than they were. So again, I'm I'm a little con- confused as to how 
you can get a light at the end of the tunnel, but you also disregard record, you know? Like well, I, I, I think that the light at the end of the tunnel comes from building up morale, not from losses, but from the wins you get. I completely agree, which is why we were in agreement after the summer that they had that it was it was good to assemble a roster that was going to attempt to win games for that exact reason, because moral victories ultimately, um, more often than not, are hollow. But I'm gonna I'm actually gonna take what you said, I'm gonna throw it back at you, because think back over the last several years in the NBA where you could say this, I want to say last season um, in Atlanta. And granted, they turned it around and were, you know, nearly a 500 team over the second half of the year. You know, but they ended up winning whatever they won, 25 games, um, where people were looking at them and they're like, they're on the verge of something. Now, Atlanta's terrible this year. Um, but that's what people were saying last year. It's like, okay, they're starting to put the pieces in place even though they're not winning games. To the the season before that, people were saying that um, about the Nets. And it's like if you go back through like NBA history, it feels like you could look at teams. Now, granted, the big the big difference between most of those teams and the Knicks is most of those teams where they sucked – already had, like, a great player on the roster that, like, okay, when this guy is actually ready to win games, it's going to get a lot better. The Knicks don't have that guy right now. All due respect to R.J. Barrett, he's not an all-NBA-level player. Um, Maybe they get that guy in the draft. I don't know. Is there still... So you're saying you don't think that there's any value if they finish this season with, I don't know, 25 wins, but they manage to keep morale high... And let's just say for shits and giggles, they they finish 15th or 16th in defensive rating. Right, and they show competent, like aggressive defense. They have a really sound defense by the end of the year. Um, does does that have? I mean, maybe we're getting too ahead of ourselves, but does that have value? Well, of course it does. I'm not saying it doesn't have value. It's just you can look at it as a stepping stone, right? Because that's certainly how I see it. I went into the season thinking 26 wins would be nice. I think they get there, but honestly, I'm not sure. A lot of it also depends on how they handle the team going forward in terms of personnel. I think you can look at these things and say, that's promising. That's exciting. I have – my long-term concerns are far fewer in between than my short-term concerns, which is basically that this is a team that I still believe was built where, you know, you've, you've got a, a nucleus that's that's okay to, to decent long-term, probably good. I'd say, you know, I'd say, I'd say it's a good nucleus. And you're adding to it. And if – it's it's not like you know the boomer bust the bust isn't that terrible the bust is in my opinion you trade some of your veterans if push comes to shove so i think the the big the bigger thing for me is it's more hollow if like you have a, a situation like tonight right where we look at this months from now and the team looks completely different and if marcus morris wills the Knicks back into the game that's great in the short term that's great long term it's perhaps a different outcome because tonight, for example, I loved what Marcus Morris did. Who, who couldn't have, right? He was yeah. on fire. Fantastic. He was, he was phenomenal. But then it's the sort of thing where it's like, okay, if Morris isn't here next year, that was a nice win. What, what does that really do for, for the other guys around him? Does that one win really change an entire course of a season? And it can, but the Knicks didn't win. It didn't happen. And you kind of, 
pick up the pieces and go from there. So, yes, I think that you can certainly make strides and you can measure them. You can quantify those strides like what you're saying with defensive rating. And it doesn't have to be with wins, but this whole thing of a light at the end of the tunnel, I think, I think, yeah, the the moral whatnot is a little hollow. And and that's coming from someone who wrote his first article saying like <laughs> this team, there's something about it in terms of just like what they're doing for the people. Like you change the people and you help change the players, and then you change the players long term. And that still stands. It's just at the same time, it doesn't. You know, I even said like that doesn't mean that you can walk away feeling like moral victories are better. They're definitely not. The priority is actually winning. And I still stand by that. It's just a matter of where the team decides to go, you know, this season and then long-term. Yeah. It's, you know, it's all, it's, it's very mixed up because you have this roster that was put together where the team, the organization themselves was telling everybody who wanted to listen that we're going to be good. And we're going to be better than you think, and we're not going to suck. And um, that has not been the case. Uh, they have they have not been as good as they thought, like many, many, many people predicted. Um, they have serious flaws in terms of – I mean, actually, I think the flaws are pretty simple. They don't have enough shooting, and they don't have um, any anybody who could create an easy bucket. Um, and, I, you know, I think everything else is a, a trickle-down effect from there. But – so if you accept the fact that they're bad and this is not a good roster then doesn't doesn't it change doesn't it change the calculus a little bit because I understand what you're saying and I, I I'm on board with you in that at some point you do need to start winning some games um but like I I don't want to get too far off the rails you know we're 15 minutes into this conversation. Um, but did you see Richard Jefferson's comments tonight on the Nets game? Yeah, but... I, so, we, I, yeah. Let, well, let's say what they are <laughs> for anybody who didn't hear it. So Richard Jefferson was on the Nets telecast, which I guess he does regularly, right? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think he's a regular person. And he he said um, that he had a chance to play for the Knicks. Um, I, he, he retired... Not this was this is not his first season in retirement, right? This was last. This is year. his second year. Yeah, I so this would have been the first, um, basically the the summer that Fizz came aboard. Um, they apparently, according to him, the Knicks were the only team that offered him a contract, and he said, "I'd rather retire than than play for you." Now there will be people out there who doubt whether or not this is true. There will be people out there who will say, "Who gives a shit what Richard Jefferson says?" Um, there will be people out there who will be mad at me for bringing it up on this podcast. I can't, I can't ignore that. And I always, always, always come back to the same place that I wish I didn't have to come back to, which is what, like, that's why it's so funny. You said before, long term, you feel good, but short term is where your concerns are. For me, it all comes back to that perception stuff, the culture stuff, the, you know, is this a place that anybody feels like they can actually win? And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, they might be bad, but if they went the rest of this year just putting one foot in front of the other and trying and not letting go of the rope all season long and the young players got progressively better in games like tonight, right? Like, I just... 
maybe this is me trying much too hard to look for the bright side, and I have been guilty of that in the past, God knows, but that that's where I'm coming from. I, yeah, I understand, but I, I think the thing with Richard Jefferson is he he's a net through and through, right? I don't think I think that what he said, there's definitely truth to it. I think that the Knicks did say, hey, you know, we'd like to offer you a contract. And I think he was contemplating retirement, and I think that he was like, you know, I don't think it's really worth it, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to retire. And I think it was a convenient story where he was able to kind of how he framed it. But Richard Jefferson and analyzing Knicks culture I don't think is a very accurate representation because Richard Jefferson hates the Knicks because oh, he no, was a I, net. And I, I know you know wait a minute, wait a minute, but, hold on. But I don't think it's – I don't think culture has an effect on that and I don't think that how the Knicks are playing would necessarily have an effect on that either. I mean the Knicks could be – a fantastic team and offer Richard Jefferson the last spot if they, you know, if they wanted to. And I still hesitate to think that he would accept it. I look, I, I'm not saying his view isn't skewed. And I'm also not saying that there aren't people in the league who have a very, very, very different view of this franchise. There are former Knicks who respect the hell out of the team and the franchise. There are people that, there are former players who love James Dolan. Tyson Chandler swears by him, you know, respected vet. There are others that, you know, Amari Stoudemire has said, you know, say what you want. But it's just the fact that he would feel comfortable saying that about the team. And I know it's a Nets broadcast and it's like, yeah, of course you're going to pander to your fans and, 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 and all that stuff. But it just, you know, it just brings me back to that place of thinking about, oh, God, this is something that we have to deal with, deal with. This is out there. This exists in the universe. And so, you know, I guess as I'm sitting here and I'm like, God, they just lost to a mediocre to bad team when they played well. And I'm thinking about, like, what, what value does that have other than some of the young guys? who We'll, we'll talk about them over the, the second part of the podcast, but I don't know. That's um, that's kind of what I'm what I'm coming back to. So to, 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 to just to put a cap on the conversation about tonight's the result of tonight's game, are you saying that if they let's say Frank hits that three, uh, wide open three from the corner that he missed, my God, uh, got to hit that shot, um, and they win this game, you're saying that's a big deal to you? Yeah, I think, and I think. Maybe not long term, but right now, considering it's a team that is five and twelve instead of four and thirteen, is it a huge difference? No. Um, again, I like it's 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 a big deal in terms of like this team has just come back from one game that they really should have won in Philadelphia and another game where they dug themselves into way too way too deep of a hole. Yeah. Then you know, like yeah, it's it's from a team morale standpoint, I understand like, not only do they want to win, I can understand and respect the reason why. And, and it's, is it a big deal to me? No, it's a nice win against a, a depleted team. And then you look to the next game against Toronto. I think you can celebrate it momentarily, but it's not, I don't think it alters the course of the season. And, you know, I, again, I, I, when Fizdale draws parallels to the heat, it just I, – I see what he's trying to do, yeah, and I don't like it because that Heat team making a 30-11 and 11 run, I don't want to say it's unprecedented. It's just very no, uncommon, and this team is far younger and wasn't playing – this team is playing like it's supposed to play in a lot of ways. It's still playing below the expectations that were set, but that Miami team 
was put together well enough that it should have been around 500 throughout the entire season. Look, we don't have to talk about this for too much longer. I guess I guess my point is this. If if the Knicks are uh, again, the Knicks are not going 31 or 11. Um but if they start out the year like you said and they get to 11 and 30, right? And then over the second half of their season, they finish 17 and 24 as their version of like all right we're starting to put things together um i think that has immense value but i i I think it with every loss and this is why i'm i i get broken up about these losses i think that gets tougher and tougher and i think it gets more and more tempting not tempting because that makes it sound like it's a choice it gets more and more likely that guys will let go of the rope and that guys will um, start to to you know not do the little things. But then again, then again, maybe that's why they brought in these vets. And I, I don't want to give them too much credit. God knows <laughs> the people who built this team. But maybe that's why Taj and Wayne Ellington and Marcus Morris, um, you know, and Reggie Bullock, if he ever gets on the court, are here. To be professional for 82 games such that guys like Frank and RJ and Mitch and Knox and, and Dodd and, and all the, the whole crew can kind of um, can kind of take that lead. And, I, and you'll notice I didn't mention Randall there, uh, who we'll talk about um, right after uh, we hear a quick word from our friends. You know who I'm going to talk about, right? It's our, it's, our, it's our theater minute of the podcast, Jeremy. Oh, um, yeah. Yes. Um, even though Vivid Seats, our friends at Vivid Seats, um, it's more than just theater tickets. It's sports tickets. It's everything. Um, it's your top source for tickets for for anything that you you want to go to. Uh, they have a loyalty program. Um, Vivid Seats Rewards. Go to the App Store, Google Play, download the Vivid Seats app, uh, and you're automatically enrolled in that loyalty program. Uh, every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. Um, Jeremy, I went on Vivid Seats this week. And looked at tickets for, um, I, I spoke about this briefly uh, in the podcast during the week. I looked at tickets for Mean Girls because I'm like, my wife will like that for our anniversary. I would have thought Mean Girls, you could get them pretty cheap. Not the case. Yeah, theater's, uh, theater's really expensive. <laughs> it's a pricey, but you know, it's Mean Girls. It's like, oh, that's cute, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't think teenage girls could afford. I mean, who else would want to see that besides teenage girls and and me? Their parents. Um, I guess. Yeah, well, they pay I mean, if there's a price for admission, their parents are going to pay it. Um, that is true cuz you if it's one thing about teenage girls, you do have to keep them happy. Anyway, um if and when I do decide to get my Mean Girls tickets, I'm going to use the promo code overtime at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Um, so make sure you go do that for all of your, uh, ticket buying needs this, this holiday season. Before we get to Julius Randall, um, we're going to answer a tweet, a tweet question, I guess. Um, I guess so. From Johnny Caps, who was, uh, Johnny was at our, our bar night, uh, for the Mavs game. And he asks, question for the pod. We just found out a baby boy Caps is coming. Congratulations, Johnny. Yes. Uh, I love Johnny and his hair and uh, his new baby boy. My plan was always to share fandom of my favorite teams, the Knicks and the Mets, to my kid. The pros, the bond with the child. The cons, the kid begins life with a clean slate. Why make him a Knicks and a Mets fan? 
Um, I have a daughter. You do not that you know of yet. Um, Correct. You ever have any scares? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I have not. If you did, would you say them on this podcast? Yeah, I would, but I haven't. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I, I've had a. I, I've dabbled. Yeah. Um, well, you dribble before you shoot. Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> I. I mean, I'm. I'm. My wife is a big Mets fan. I root for them because of her. Um, as you know, I'm a, a Steelers fan, although that's fair weather at best at this point. Um, I want my daughter to be a Knicks fan. I, I very much want my daughter to be a Knicks fan. If I have any more kids, I want them to be Knicks fans. Um, I just, it's character building. I, 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 I you know, and it's, it's a, it, uh, yeah, there's the bond, but it's like to have a team that you love and you root for your whole life. I think, you know, that's honorable. Where, where do you fall on this one? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not a Mets fan. Um, fortunately, I'm a Yankees fan. With the with the Knicks, it's a nice balance between the two. Uh, and I mean, you know, it's, the Yankees have far different expectations. So when they don't win a championship, what a Mets fan or any really a lot of other teams might say is a great season feels different. But there's something about with the Knicks, it's it's the idea of struggling where you've been this loyal, you're not going to leave. There's something about how when you're bereft of hope, there's still there is still something to kind of cling to, whether it's rational or not. I think it's you're in it for the long haul for fandom. And you know, fandom's subjective. It's not a science. No one has to stick with the teams that they were that they chose. I mean, some people choose teams because of the colors that they rep. So I think for me, if if uh if when I have kids, it's gonna be a win, um <laughs> I would love for him, her, them, whatever, uh, to to be a Knicks fan because I think that it's it's something to commiserate with, but it's also something to take pride in. As ridiculous as that might seem to other fans, it's uh, it's you still you just it's something to build for, and it when the team eventually does succeed, it will feel all the more sweeter. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, as you're as you're talking about this, I'm just looking at the the Twitter comments from my. My tweet um, saying that I thought they played well. I, I should ask you, do you think the Knicks played well tonight? I thought defensively they did a, a pretty good job. Um, you know, I mean, Dinwiddie was phenomenal. It's really hard to to kind of stop this team when he's just scoring at will and shooting as well from the line as he did. What was he, like 12 of 13 tonight? Uh, oh, God, he was he was insane. I mean, he, he I mean, he played like an all-star tonight. And yeah. he's, he's played like an all-star since Kyrie went out. And, uh, you know, I hate the guy, but he's 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 amazing. I let's talk about the the defense is, has been good. Um, Knox is can't get out of his own way. And Randall is lazy. And if I have to look at him, not give full effort on defense on a meaningful um, early game possession, um, especially I'll, it's I just I can't anymore. Um, but they're they're not a terrible defensive team. I guess that's kind of what the the first part of the conversation was was geared towards, and we kind of went big picture before we we were going small picture. I, I'm not sure how I see this team getting better offensively, and there's a lot of people out there, you know, who seem to be saying or opining that they did not play well on offense. And I just, given the talent that they had out there tonight. I'm not sure where that better offensive performance lies. 
is do you think that they are underwhelming on offense or are they just or are they just not a very they, they, they're not capable of being a better offensive team um well i would say that a lot of it probably stems from coaching i think they have tools i think they have some creators but you know it, it, we're not going to see miracles happen with with a new coach most likely and i'm not this is not a, a fire fizzdale pod per se but it's also kind of like well you know maybe maybe you've got the personnel to be better than this and maybe after the Knicks ranked what 30th in offensive rating last year they're probably around 26th this year oh no they're I think they're dead last they're okay, okay. yeah Even better yeah no, I'm fairly yeah. certain they're dead last Yes, it's a sort of thing where, and I understand Peyton's out, but at the same time, that's not. That's, it's not right. Exactly. So Smith was good tonight. Frank yes. obviously can't hit a shot, but you know neither can Peyton most of the time. So very true. So it's a sort of thing where maybe if you have the right pieces, you don't have the right puzzle master. Like that. That's kind of where I keep going back to the drawing board, and and also I think a big deal is the offense keeps going through Randall. And then it's like, well, why is it going through Randall? And to me, that kind of goes hand in hand with coaching. And I don't know, man. I just there's no magic solution, but I think that there's certainly one that could change things. It's just that's a very drastic change, and I don't, I don't think the Knicks will necessarily go through with that. I see. That's kind of where I wanted to to center this discussion because last night. Um, I went on a rant after that game on my Periscope, basically saying that moving the offense through Randall is asinine. Um, he, when him and to a lesser extent Morris aren't hitting their shots in the first quarter, um, the Knicks fall into a a, a stupor, um, and it's it uh, carries over to their defense. And it looked like kind of that's the way this game was going to start going for a while. Um, as much as the offense wasn't as Randall-centric early on, and Morris, I don't even think he, he barely took a shot in the first quarter, um, but their offense was not, you know, they only scored 22 points in the first quarter. Brooklyn scored 29, but they kept it close enough that they remained competitive throughout the game, and we've seen this a lot this season, despite the fact that they are, um, by a wide margin, the worst offensive first quarter team uh, by offensive rating in the league. I I didn't think the offense moved through Randall that much tonight, and I thought when it did, he was pretty responsible. Um, only t- attempted 10 field goals, made six of them. Um, I, I had four assists. I thought he was fine, I guess. That he was fine. Um, his misses stand out because they're so egregious. Like, I, re- I, I remember every one of Randall's misses. The open the the three pointer early in the shot clock terrible shot the fadeaway like uh, whatever that garbage was in the first half that I don't even think hit rim um, the forced possession late with under four minutes to go I mean these are terrible shots but at the same time he's six of ten only took ten shots so I if if the offense does not move through Randall and I don't think it should and R J and maybe I don't know maybe this is an unfair conversation about tonight because Barrett's out because really. Isn't that the guy that the offense should be moving through, R.J. Barrett? Are we at yeah. that point? Okay. I think we should be. So, I don't know. Is that what is that what the goal is for the rest of the season? To basically figure out how to basically build an R.J.-centric offense? Maybe not R.J.-centric, but it's the sort of thing where the Knicks really need to 
decide sooner than later what pieces are going to be here long term. And once they do that, if they haven't done that already, they need to then create a system that heightens their strengths and that either hides or works on their areas of development. That, and, that's yeah. no, that's I mean that's that's kind of where it is. I mean, at least in, in my point of view. No, no, I don't. I don't disagree. And I yeah. guess, I guess the people that are frustrated tonight with this loss um, and are not taking this moral victory as anything to be positive about. I'm assuming it's because they don't feel like we have an offensive system, and I'm not sure they're wrong. Because do we have an offensive system? I don't know that we do. I don't think we do. But, you know, it's not just this one game, right? Like, when it comes to the Spurs game, it just felt like there was never any answer. And even in the post game, Fizdale didn't have an answer. He was asked, what happened? And he could not answer the question. And to me, that was a big concern. It's like, you're telling me that there's a guy who's in charge of of, of addressing questions and creating reasonable answers to them. And he's at this point where he can't even give the press an answer. He can't tell us any solutions that he would have had or just any way to stop a team that was on an eight-game losing streak that was just off of a back-to-back that was hemorrhaging losses. It's just it's, it's you know like so in terms of the offense it just it feels like a running thing and then of course the Sixers game was a it was a different story I think the team was was rolling for the most part I guess you could say and then of course there was a, a defensive substitution and went downhill from there so yeah a lot of these problems are solved by the offense and I don't think that it's there's nothing that can really be addressed this year and you can even look at tonight's yes, game where that's it's like my with, point right yeah no I, I totally agree with Morris if he doesn't heat up the Knicks aren't even in this game. Yeah, no, no, I completely It's nice agree. that they had that comeback, but but you had to rely on this guy going six of seven from the from three at one point. I think he finished the game there. If he didn't, the point is that's how hot he had to be in order for the Knicks to even have a chance of getting as close as they did. And it wound up being a two-point game because of, you know, a Randall bucket with 0.4 seconds, which, might I add, was probably the worst bad beat for anyone who was listening and had any money on the game, but that's besides the point. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what was the spread tonight? I forget, I don't even know. It was two and a half. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. So um, what a terrible beat. Yes, yeah. No, we're we're mad. We're very mad, John. So uh, <laughs> it's the sort of thing where it, there there seem to be either like valid excuses for, or sorry, invalid excuses for why the Knicks were down to begin with, or these fake comebacks that just. Just are they're complete teasers and they're classic patented Knicks comebacks and we know how they're going to end. And I would just almost rather it be a blowout in the way that it's just like, well, the, the box score simply doesn't tell the full story. I, I mean, I'm looking at the box score right now. Um, obviously, Morris had the big game. Randall had 15. Ellington had 12. It was four of seven from uh, from three. Dennis Smith Jr. had 10. No other Nick was in double figures. I, you know. It's it's trite to say it's a make or miss league, but um, this team they just they just I, they don't have anyone who could generate easy offense. And I, I mean, I feel like we're talking around in circles, but I just it's not that's not that's not coming this year unless they could really unless RJ grows at a much quicker pace than any of us expect him to, and they really kind of refigure things. Um, 
around him and around that. I I felt his so let's talk about the rotation really quickly. Um tonight it was the starters were Taj, Julius, uh Marcus, uh Knox at the two. By the way, did did that did that lose them the game? It certainly didn't help them. You know, I, I just I hate I hate it. It's so frustrating. I, and I'm, why would he? Someone like, why would he do that? He said it was a vote of confidence, right? A vote of confidence bullshit. to Knox, which a is bullshit because a vote of confidence comes. What is a vote of confidence? A vote of confidence is be like, hey, I, you've been like I still I still believe in you, which is great. Should he need to start for that to take place? Like that? no, no. No, and, and it's not it's not even just about starting, right? Like, it's about because, starting sure, it too. There's pride, but if you're put in the wrong position, then how does that help you? How does that help your pride? How does that help how you feel? It feels like he's in the doghouse for a situation he can't even control because Fizdale insists on putting him in a position where he's constantly getting burned on the perimeter. You know, it's like and then we see Wayne Ellington and and he has some great moments. It's like, well, why wasn't that one of your options? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or if it was, you was it a laborious decision because it certainly doesn't seem to me like it was. And yet you want Knox to be as prepared as possible. And yet it was news to him about the fact that he was starting. Um, if I didn't know any better, see, this is where, this is where we enter into the dark place. And, uh, th- when I say the dark place, um, it's me thinking, well, you know, Knox was this team's draft pick next year. And, um, Obviously, the front office who drafted Kevin Knox came out a week and a half ago, two weeks ago now, excuse me, and said that this team should be performing better. And wouldn't it wouldn't have been interesting for Fizz to be like, all right, this team should be performing better? Here, let me throw out the kid you gave me uh, as your first-round pick last year, uh, and I'm going to show you how he does. Now, obviously, that's a ridiculous – that would be a ridiculous thing for him to do because he's not a two, and he can't guard twos. He can't guard threes or fours right now for Christ's sake but I don't know um the Knicks got steamrolled early they gave up 18 points in the first six minutes of the game um and then proceeded to play pretty good defense the rest of it I don't know it wasn't it wasn't a good look it was a bad yeah. luck um because he also I don't think Knox played what the last 20 minutes of the game well that's yeah that's that's the thing it's almost like yeah, so what? So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a vote of confidence, but when it comes <laughs> when it comes to uh, when it comes to money making time, you know. And then the Knicks were down, um, they were down six at the half. Uh, Marcus Morris hit a three, um, very uh, very early on in the in the third quarter, and then again, um, you know, it's you know it's they. Dinwiddie gets loose, and then, you know, it's just, I don't know. It wasn't a good look. Um, let's talk about the young players real quick before we before we get out of here. Of every young player on this team, um, who are you highest on right now? Who do you feel best about? Not not to say, like, who has the highest ceiling in your mind, but, like, who, who has you feeling the best right now, tonight? I mean... I would have said just in the in the heat of the moment, based on how things have been going, Frank, I can see why that three and also going three of 11 can feel like a step back. 
it's uh you know there was a fascinating article also that came out very recently about how Mitchell Robinson would be absolutely elite. Yes, five thirty. Like one of the yes, five thirty eight article about how he would be one of the greatest players, uh, really of all time. Um, <laughs> he's Will Chamberlain. If it weren't for the fact that he's fouling at such a high rate. And that's great, but he's also, you know, he's he is fouling so consistently. And he made some really dumb decisions tonight. The offensive foul, the technical foul. I mean, it just, just he really cost the team in the long run. It wasn't anything that he did at one moment. But also, you know, the, the him fouling out and Fizz challenging that foul led to what I felt was a bit of a change in momentum. And then, of course, he fouls out 20 seconds later. Yeah. In terms of the young players, yeah, I mean, Barrett, I don't – he's by no means in the sunken place. He's just not anywhere near what he was at the beginning with that, you know, just how exciting he was. I'd, I'd have to probably go with him. But even then, it's just, you know, it feels like he's, he's exactly what he is. He's a very talented 19-year-old rookie. And – mistakes are going to happen he's going to play through shit you kind of have to just shrug your shoulders and hope that he learns from it yeah it's hard i so yeah i feel like you'd have to kind of go um barrett frank mitch in that order but i thought dennis smith jr had a great game tonight i thought he did too um even though he shot abysmally you know you had to see it i was i was really i was really hopeful um from a few things I saw about Dennis Smith Jr. tonight, and and I have to be honest with you, um, I tonight was the first time where I looked at Frank, and I'm like, if he's gonna play this this with this, um, uh, I don't want to say hesitancy because I don't think that's it, but he was, and I also don't want to say he was passive tonight because he looked for a shot, right? He was three of eleven. Those are shots you you have to take if they're there. He he missed them obviously. He missed a very big one late. But I ju- you know Dallas Amico are posting and toasting. I mentioned it on the on the I tweeted it out and I mentioned it on the Periscope. He had a great thread before the game or a couple hours before the game about how mm-hmm. Frank just has so many opportunities to get into the paint um, a little further, and he doesn't. And if he did that, and he would take one more, two steps further into the paint, um, before he made those, you know, dump off passes, it would open up a lot more. And I watched for it tonight, and I just, you know, it's there are far too many possessions where it's like he gives up the ball, and I know everybody wants to put that on Fizz, but do we know if that's really on Fizz, or do we do is does is that Frank's option? Like, does Frank have the option to try to penetrate a defense and do something from there, or is he expect? I have to think he has the option to penetrate, and then if he doesn't, there's a pl- you know it, it starts a domino effect of other things that could happen, and he just he doesn't he doesn't do it enough, and um, and then you're watching Dennis Smith Jr., who again is a highly imperfect player, but had some nice moments on defense tonight. What I really want to see is the two of them play together more, but. You know, yeah, we saw it for about a minute each half tonight, I think. But that's the thing with Frank that I don't really understand because he seems like such a well-coached player. If you told him to do something, that he's he's more than likely going to do it. Yeah, I don't. I go back and forth on him truly because it feels like on one hand, yeah, he's really timid. On the other, it's like, well, I I feel like he he knows he has the length 
and he has he's developing this mentality and he he's finally got the handle to at least consider it and he doesn't do it as much so it's it's why and i it's got i feel like it just has to be a little of column a a little of column b yeah some of it's by design and some of it's just overthinking like maybe i can find someone who can generate more offense than me uh, driving to the rack kind of opening things up a little more yeah, and, and look, we always talk about Frank's unselfishness is one of the things that we love about him. Um, we do love it about him, but at the same time, there is a part, there is a point where that gets those scales tip too far in one direction. Um, but overall, I mean, look, despite tonight um, not having a good shooting night, missing a big shot, um, again, his defense was, was wonderful. Um, he's had a great year. Um, R.J. Barrett, like you said, he's 19. I think, by and large, he's had an excellent year, um, has been everything the Knicks could have hoped for. Damian Dotson, his shot finally started to come around a little bit tonight. We saw he got extra shooting work after the San Antonio game. He was the only guy in the gym um, on Saturday night. Um, I think he's been he's been good. And then there's Mitch, um, who, like you talked about, he's he's Will Chamberlain, except he can't stay on the court. I, I, I You have to be hopeful there. And Knox, we, we've kind of already touched on. Um, in a, he's in a shooting slump. He's obviously having his issues on defense. It's a good young core. I think, you know, sometimes as Nick fans, we do have to kind of step back from the ledge. Um, is it is it a good time to to sit here and be like, you know, things are not as bad as they might seem? What do you oh, think? you're asking. Yeah, I know it's a rhetorical question, <laughs> but yeah, I have to. I do. I I am actually curious what you think about stepping off from the ledge long term. I mean, you know, I'm. I feel like I'm not on. the Have ledge we seen long-term. enough? Have we seen enough from the young core to be like, okay, we're we should feel good about this? Yeah, I think we should. We should feel at ease knowing that there's there's definitely long term talent. But again, I I struggle to feel that this team isn't at least one superstar potential player away oh, e- from that court. At least, right. at least. So if that's, and if that's the case, then of course, and we, we're, we're, I, I know what you're going to say is that we're still not quite there yet, but it still feels like, well, where do you generate a lot of that talent? It's in the top five. Of course, the lot is a crapshoot, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yes. But, you know, I mean, like, for example, I don't, I don't necessarily consider Dotson a member of the core because – he is 25 years old. This I and mean, the shoulder surgery has clearly impacted I, his game. I fucking love Dotson. Can I no, just he's, say he's, that? He's one a more ball time? of energy. I say, I, I say it so much. I love this dude. <laughs> I love watching him play. His off-ball defense is just an atrocity against humanity at times. Yes, but I just I love his energy. I love his effort. He moves all the time. He could drive the lane. I just I like Dotson. I always. Like I agree. Him. I agree. I I enjoy watching him play. From a results standpoint, at 25 years old, after his shoulder surgery, I don't see how you can consider him long term. If he's if he's re-signed, great, I'm with it. It also depends on what the contract is, but it's that sort of thing where. And again, I, I think we do have to step away, but we have to step away from the sense of like, how good are these players on other teams? It just with with the same level of production that they're doing, same efficiency, same defense, same effort. How are they on other teams? I don't. You know, we're 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 somewhat biased, of course. We're we're influenced, I'll say, by by how these players well, are because of the colors that they wear. But I think we're influenced because 
we see we see the best that they bring because we watch every minute this that this team plays. I watch every minute this team plays, and we see the best that Mitch Robinson is capable of. We see. Sure. You know, that one drive that Frank had tonight where he just was a blur to the basket and it was like, oh my God, why are you not doing that six times a game? Um, you know, we see Knox's shooting stroke that is just so pure, even though he's in kind of the dark right now. Um, and even there are for- things, there are things to like and love. It's yeah. just a matter of how if we take that and kind of extrapolate to the point where it overshadows the concerns because we're so immersed in concerns that we just want the positives, you know? All right. I, I have I have a question for you, and then we'll we'll get out of here. Um, somebody, a few people on Twitter have been have been talking about this uh, of late. I got a couple text messages actually too from a few people. Uh, Brandon Ingram right now is averaging what's he averaging like twenty five points a game, um, hitting hitting threes. He's he's playing good ball. Um, Really good ball. He's he's playing at like an all star level. Um, the the Pelicans can't get out of their own way, but he he has not been the reason for that. He's having a rough rough game so far tonight. Um, two of eight for seven points through twelve minutes. Uh, Pelicans are on the verge of getting blown out by the Clippers. Putting that aside, um, he is the only person who is even going to be potentially available this summer. Um, who is who is at that level of? I, I'm not I'm not talking about Anthony Davis. He's not he's not going to be available. Um, yeah, I'm looking at his stats right now: twenty six point seven rebounds, four assists, and he is averaging thirty. Sorry, he's averaging forty six percent from deep, fifty one percent from the field. Would you? If you could get if you could get Brandon Ingram on a max contract right now, are you going down that road? Yeah, you are. Yeah, Not, I mean, without also, hesitation. Well, in a vacuum, I would take him. It it really depends on if he's available at the deadline, and if he. Oh, you're he talking about it, trade. Well, no, I mean, I'm saying if in one on one hand, if he's available via trade, then at least explore it. But on the other, if he's still a member of the Pelicans and the Pelicans maybe feel slightly uncomfortable paying him a max salary, then, you know, there's, there's your answer in a lot of ways. Or if you can try to facilitate some sort of sign and trade, I, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to know for certain, of course. Um, but I think it also depends on what happens with Randall because you've got him for a season, but the Knicks need that type of guy who can shoulder offense as well. And I don't know if you go, if I told you that the Knicks could, somehow obtain Brandon Ingram without giving up RJ Barrett or this year's pick. Is that something that you would feel comfortable with on a max contract? Um, I, I am not going to trade assets for the right to pay Brandon Ingram. What, what he is probably worth. Right. If that, make, then, if that makes any sense, I yes, I will pay. I will pay of... Brandon Ingram what he is worth, and maybe it's a little bit more than what he's worth. But I'm not going to completely eliminate everything in my cupboard. Well, it wouldn't. Right I, I'm saying so. it wouldn't be everything, right? You know, I mean, it, well, I don't. I don't know what a hypothetical trade looks like 
for Brandon Ingram because of the fact that we also haven't really seen what he looks like with Zion, and, and that will determine a lot of it too, right? Well, yeah, but I, I guess I don't know. I'm I'm thinking like if you're telling me I could have Brandon Ingram and all I have to do is pay him an average of thirty million dollars a year, that's a conversation that I'm willing to have. If you're telling me I could have Brandon Ingram and all I have to do is pay him thirty million dollars a year and I have to give up um, two young cost controlled assets who we just got done talking about have shown like real actual signs of being a part of a possible core moving forward. Um you know, to me, that is – that's old Knicks. But what are those assets you're talking about in this case? Well, I mean – I'm saying – I mean, look, let's let's say it like it is. It's going to be Mitchell Robinson because he's from there. They would want him. I'm sure – I don't know. He might not even mind going back. Um, it would be, you know, Dallas – the Dallas pick, both Dallas picks, I guess. Um, it would be Kevin Knox. And probably, I don't even know if that would get it done. Um, well, let's say it's those four, right? Purely hypothetical. We know how good Mitchell Robinson can and they, be. And, they, and they'd probably want a, a, a Knicks pick that was lightly, that was protected in such a way that was that would get the Knicks, that would keep the Knicks their own pick this year, but would be advantageous for the Pelicans moving forward. That's that's my guess as to what it would take, and I have no interest in doing that. Myself. Okay. I mean, look. I, myself. I get it. I understand. But it's the sort of thing where he is a player who's also improved every single year in facets of his game. Yeah, no, for sure. It's a superstar league, as I was saying. And, and I, I just – I don't think he's a superstar. That's, no, I, I agree. I agree he's not a superstar. I think but he's at an the all-star. Same time, if, yeah, but, you know, like – you could use some of that, and it's the sort of thing where you have to pay Mitch soon. We don't know what Knox is going to be. Both those Mavs picks, if you look at how Luca's playing, if you look at as Porzingis starts to get his legs out from underneath him, oh, no, those I, types of situations, I, yeah. it's like, okay, well, is it really that harmful to trade picks that could wind up being early to mid-20s? I certainly don't think so. I think if you can acquire someone – and, yeah, there's a risk. Of course, if Luca goes down – Day one of next year and the pick is gone and he's out for the season, you know, knocking with that doesn't happen for the sake of, of basketball and Luca and, and just it'd be a horrible thing to see. It's like, well, yeah, that pick obviously is going to look a lot better, but it's also the, the risk you take. The picks right. are probably going to be bad. For me, it's more like it would be an indictment on like – Say what you want about all of the different ways that everything has gone. A lot of things have gone wrong for this organization over the last uh, however many months, you know, um, and how a lot of the things that they hoped would come to fruition this summer did not come to fruition. Say all of that. The one thing that they have committed to was is not trading away young pieces and not trading away picks and making a commitment to develop those young pieces until they got better. Now, <laughs> thus far, it has not yet fully come to fruition because we're looking at a still struggling Kevin Knox and a still struggling Mitchell Robinson. So that's my that's my point. Good teams take those guys and they, you know, get them to a certain place in their value. Now, if you're telling me that th- those, you know, Knox is always going to suck and Mitch is going to, uh, you know, peter out as someone who can't stay on the floor, I just... If that's the case, 
then there's other problems that we we should be addressing. Right. Well, look, I mean, the deal, it's again, if it's hard to say if that's the deal, then that's it's a rich deal. But you can also look at it like the Knicks didn't trade for Anthony Davis because of his contractual situation, because it wasn't, in my opinion, that they it wasn't that the Knicks were like, oh, you know, we can't trade our young talent, period. It was we we're not going to trade our young talent for a player who could up and leave next year. Whereas with Brandon Ingram, in this case, it would be we're not going to trade some of our players because it, it would not be anywhere near the level of what it would take to get Anthony Davis. It would take a lot, but it wouldn't be an Anthony Davis-like trade that the Lakers where the Pelicans bent them over and just obliterated them. So it, when I look at it like that, right, I look at the Knicks. And I also look at Dennis Smith Jr. and how his his value has cratered compared to where it was last year. And – there's a concern, yes, it could happen to the other players. There's a concern that the other players, this could be the lowest point of their careers and they just get incredibly better from here on out. But at the same time, the reason why the Knicks keep acquiring assets is because, yeah, you could use them, but you can also parlay them into trades. And maybe Brandon Ingram isn't that guy. Maybe he's not the, that, the asset you trade for. I get, I get that. Yeah. But at the same time, you also have to then look around the league and you can keep building slowly. I get it. I'm actually – I'm going to have something out probably December-ish when it's a little bit more appropriate timing-wise. But a little a little taste of it is that it's really hard to trade for stars that are worthy of being traded. Yes, there are always going to be guys who are a little disgruntled. But based on when guys are on – where they're at in their contracts, where they are in terms of unrestricted free agency, the age of a lot of players in terms of like where the talent is because we've got some really good talent that's – it's on the slightly older side. I mean, like, you know, with with uh, Kawhi, he's like, what, 27, 28? That's young, but he's locked down. There's yeah. really not – there aren't many game changers. It's like Giannis and – if you want to call Beal a game changer, I, I personally don't. I think he's fantastic. And but he, just, he just re-signed on an extension. Right. So, so the thing is, if you're the Knicks, you have really two options. Well, you have three. Uh, one is developing, which you can do even – when I talk about the other two options, the other is uh, trying to sign a free agent star. We know how that went over and you need to show consistent winning. And I think that considering how there's only one player who's truly worthy of changing the game, um, there are better teams for him to go to, that being Giannis. Then the third is a trade. And again, that's why you accumulate assets. Yes, you do it to develop and 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 grow and hope that you strike gold. And the Knicks have certainly done very well. And even in the second round, I think we can argue with first round picks. They've, they've at least gotten guys who have shown promise, right? You know, higher ceilings. We'd love for maybe lower floors with a guy like Knox, for example. But at a certain point, you, you have to shake things up in that you can't have a team that's just built like the thunder. Um, you have to have other ways of, of acquiring talent. And if the free agent market is pretty much closed off, that kind of pushes you more towards the trade market. I, I get it. Um, I'm not. I'm not doing it yet. I'm not. I'm not entertaining it yet. I just. I can't because. At the end of the day, this is an asset management league, and um, the good teams buy low and sell high, and the bad teams buy high and sell low. And if the Knicks were to do any kind, of, any type of a deal, um, this season. Um, involve you know a trade for a player like a Brandon Ingram, um, well or just Brandon Ingram, 
um, giving up some of these young kids who have not yet put it together. It would be a textbook example of, uh, you know, of doing that, of, of selling, of selling low and buying high. And I just, I'm not, I can't yet. That to me is something you do when you, when you don't have any other options. And I, I know we get sucked into believing sometimes into like, like you just did, right? Like just going through, and I'm looking forward to reading that piece because I'm curious what you come up with and like of going through the different options and be like, well, this isn't likely and well, this isn't likely and well, that isn't likely. Shit could change in a hurry in this league and we've seen it change in a hurry. Um, you know, moribund franchises, uh, you know, in worse states than the Knicks have turned it around, you know, on a dime um, for, for just weird stuff. Um, especially, you know, who knows what they're going to get in the draft this year and like what, anyway. Um, all right. We've hit the hour mark. Um, I should say to put a cap, a capper on, uh, what we were talking about at the beginning, uh, Steph Bondi, uh, sent out another tweet to be clear. Richard Jefferson was trolling the Knicks. The part about the Knicks trying to sign Jefferson and him retiring instead is not true. So there's a, there's a positive to end the night on. Um, <laughs> Yeah. We didn't want him anyway, so it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right, man. Um, you just mentioned a piece that's coming, which obviously I will be very excited to uh, to take a look at when it when it gets here. Um, anything else to uh, plug or, or promote before you go? Uh, our turkey drive. Ah, yes. How do we not talk about this yet? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Our turkey drive. I've got to add up, but I, I honestly don't think that I I did um, for every missed free throw the Knicks have all committed dollar and i thought it was gonna be a lot worse off than i will be uh tonight was still pretty abysmal from the line but i think i'm only gonna wind up owing like 25 bucks which again i thought it was gonna be much worse uh so i have one more game to go on my on my frank um commitment for two dollars a point i think i was at 46 dollars he scored what did he score tonight six we just talked about it before. I know eight, so sixteen, uh, so forty. So I am, I am up to sixty-two dollars that I will be donating with one game left to go. Um, and uh, again, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, this is our uh, we're raising money for uh, feeding NYC dot uh, org. Uh, it's uh, every thirty-five dollars we raise helps um, feed one needy family on Thanksgiving. Uh, we were third on their leaderboard. Uh, there were, uh, in terms of other, all different people doing fundraising for for this organization. Um, our goal is $3,500. We're, uh, I think, like six or $700 away. So if you're listening to this and you want to do something nice before Thanksgiving, um, go to my Twitter page, uh, JC Macri NBA, um, and uh, it's the pinned tweet. So you can, I think it's the pinned tweet. It should be the pinned tweet. If it's not the pinned tweet, I'm going to pin it right now. Um, that's it. We will, um, be back with you with another episode during the week. Uh, Jeremy, as always, thank you so much. You are the best. Um, till, till next week, my friend. It was a pleasure and, uh, I'm thankful for you. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yes. An early, (laughs) an early happy Thanksgiving, uh, to you as well. All right, everybody. Uh, have a great week. We will talk to you soon. Peace out. We'll be right back.